بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين سلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله once again we are able to have our reflections on Surah Al-Humman and this time I'm in Toronto so uh, I hope that inshallah the connection would be much better if you remember we talked about the verse 21 and then we reached the verse 22 in the verse 21 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to the people that they dispute over everything especially about Allah himself and religion without having knowledge, guidance and illuminating book which was mentioned at the end of verse 20 verse 21 was that when they are told to follow what God has revealed they say we only want to follow what we have found our fathers been doing and we talked about this now we want to look at the other party and those are the people that instead of rejecting what Allah has revealed they wholeheartedly submit themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim wa man yuslim wajhahu ila Allahi wa huwa muhsin faqad istamsaka bil-urwatil wuthqa wa ila Allahi aqibatul umur the one who turns his face towards Allah, who submits himself towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while he is muhsin, while he is a benefactor, while he is doing good actions, he is the one who has been able to grasp the firmest handhold and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala returns the end of the actions, the end of the affairs. Okay, there are many important concepts here that we should reflect. One is that we need to submit ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This idea of submission or taslim or islam which both come from the root selm which means peace when you submit yourself to someone it means that you are saying that I am at peace with you I don't want to disagree, I don't want to fight with you I want to be at peace with you So. We submit ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used the term wajh, which means face. For human beings, face is part of the body, which is very important. Because whenever you talk to someone, to be able to have best encounter with that person you should have this encounter face to face if for example I am turning back to you although you can hear me properly or even if I have a mirror in front of me to look at you this is not considered as proper encounter the human beings very much are understood are very much attended to and addressed when they are looked at their face 
And it is very uh, interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala among all different parts of our body has made face able to express us, to represent us. You know, if you look at someone's face, it's as if you are looking at him entirely. If the face is covered, it's as if you are not looking at him at all. And this is why Allah has put the eyes also in the face. Lots of expressions come by eyes and the skins and muscles of the face. And also our words come through our face. Even what we listen comes from the sides of the face. So it's amazing. It is like the command room, the control room for us. So when I want to pay attention to someone, when I want to show my respect to him, I turn my face to him. And when I want to show my submission, I want to say that I follow you, I believe in you, I trust in you, again I do it with my face. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the people who do this with respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they submit themselves, submit their heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the people that have been able to achieve a stability in their life. They have been able to grasp the firmest handhold of the faith. So they are not going to be shaken, they are not going to lose the direction, they are not going to be every day in one direction. They will be stable, they will be able to have very, very firm position. So, to be able to understand this concept of Rajah, which is very important in the Quran, I decided to mention some of the other verses of the Quran about this concept. Because we sometimes also use it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say Wajhullah, although we know that Allah doesn't have face. In Surah Baqarah number 112, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bala man aslama wajhahu lillah wahuwa muhsin. It's very similar to what we have in Surah Baqarah. Aslama wajhahu lillah wahuwa muhsin. The one who submits himself to God, turns his face with, uh, in a very submissive manner to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he is at the same time a benefactor, a person who does good things, he would have his reward with his Lord. Means his reward lies with his Lord. There is no need to fear, and they are not sad. So, this concept of submitting your face to Allah is also here. In another place, this is Surah Baqarah number 115, we have Wajhullah. Allah says, East and West belong to God. Allah is everywhere. And even if we say that we have to face Kaaba when we are saying our prayer, it doesn't mean that Allah is not in other places. It is just a matter of focus, concentration, and bringing unity to the community of the faithful. And of course Kaaba is a place from which the light and mercy of Allah is spread. Otherwise Allah is everywhere. He says, Wherever you look, Wherever you face, wherever you turn, the face of God is there. What does it mean? It means that there is no place in the world, there is no direction in the world that Allah is not present. You don't need to look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from another direction. You don't need to look for Him in another place. Every place that you look for Him, you find Him present.
This is different from human beings. Human beings are absent in many places. They are only present in one place. So all over the world, we are absent except in one place that we are there. And even in that place, I am only able to have encounter with you if you look at me from the opposite direction. So even if you are next to me, but for example behind me, you cannot see me properly. But Allah is different. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is present everywhere. And wherever you face, you find him there. So, this Vajahullah indeed is what we, by our face, are trying to direct and orient ourselves towards it. Not that he has face. Another place which this concept of Vajah is there is... In Surah Baqarah number 177, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَيْسَ الْبِرُّ أَن تُوَلُّ وُجُوهَكُمْ قِبَلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِئِ وَالْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ Up to the end of the verse. Goodness is not a matter of facing east or west. These directions are not going to make you a good person. If you want to be a good person, you have to have faith in Allah and the hereafter and angels and the books and prophets and give alms and so on and so forth. So, this physical direction is not going to make you a good person. It's important to find the right physical direction, but more important than that is what is in the heart, and that is faith and righteous deeds. In Surah Al-Imran, number 20, we have also this concept of submitting your face to God. فَإِنْ حَاجُوكَ فَقُلْ أَسْلَمْتُ وَجْهِيَ لِلَّهِ If they debate with you and they want to question you tell them that I have submitted my face my heart to Allah and the same is true about the people who follow me so me and my followers have submitted ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this concept of Islamul Wajah is also present here Another place is Surah Nisa, number 125. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ دِينًا مِمَّنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنْ وَاتَّبَعَ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا وَاتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ خَلِيلًا Who is better in faith than a person who submits his faith to God and he is a benefactor? and follows the path of Ibrahim and Ibrahim was adopted by Allah as a friend so Allah has adopted Ibrahim as a friend so who can be better than a person who follows Ibrahim and he is like Ibrahim submitting himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do, does righteous deeds so Islamul Waj and Ihsan again are mentioned here and we have also this beautiful <coughs> ayah, ayah 79 of Surah An'am, which says, إِنِّي وَجَّحْتُ وَجْهِيَ لِلَّذِي فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَنِيفًا وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ This is what Ibrahim said. Ibrahim is the champion of Tawheed and submission to Allah. And you know that Islam means submission. So Islam is the religion of Ibrahim. Ibrahim, after the debate that he had with the worshippers of sun and moon, at the end he said, I have turned my face towards the one who has created the skies and the earth, while I am following the truth, and I am not one of the polytheists. 
So Ibrahim was a person who dedicated himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and turned his face towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another thing that we have in the Quran is to do something for the sake of God, but the Quran calls it for the face of God also. For example, you are all familiar with the story of the Ahlul Bayt when they were fasting for three successive days and when they wanted to break their fast, someone was coming and asking for food. Meskinan wa yatiman wa asira. One day was a person who was in need, one day was a uh, orphan, another day was a captive. So, Ahlul Bayt told them, Enna we only <coughs> feed you because of the face of God. What does it mean? It means for the sake of God. But we say, Levajhillah means that the only reason that we feed you is because we are oriented towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are remembering Him. We are thinking of Him. We are oriented towards Him. So this is why we are giving you this food. So we don't need any thank or praise from you. You don't need to give us reward. You don't need to thank us. Of course, that doesn't mean that the other party has no responsibility to thank. But they didn't do this to be thanked. So this is also another concept. Doing something So, I think it's clear that it's very important Quranic concept and we have to reflect on this concept. How we can focus and concentrate and direct ourselves towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for us, of course, the beginning is the face, but it has to reach the heart. You know, when you are, for example, facing Nebla, or you are, for example, even if in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, you are, for example, in uh, inside Masjid al-Haram and facing Kaaba. This doesn't guarantee that you are remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe some people are facing at Kaaba and thinking about something else. Or maybe they are thinking about, for example, the curtain of Kaaba, or for example, the bricks of Kaaba. But, this can help if your body, your face is oriented towards Allah, then there is great chance that your heart also would be directed towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the main thing. The main thing is that the heart should be oriented towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if that happens, this can remain no matter where you are. can remain with you all the time. But, as we already mentioned, in several places, Allah says that when you face Him, when you orient towards Him, you have at the same time to be muhsan, you have to do good things. You cannot say, I am so much thinking about God, so much remembering God, that I don't have any time to do something good. No. If someone faces Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is oriented towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this should show itself in the good actions. You cannot, for example, imagine, if you are, for example, standing next to a heater, for example. So, the heat of the heater must make you warm. It's impossible to be facing the heater and receive no heat and then you remain cold. When you are facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the source of all the good things, who is the source of all rahmah, so how can then you be free from good actions, free from rahmah, free from light, free from benevolence? It's impossible. In the same way, the people who orient themselves towards Iblis, towards Satan, 
The result is that then they will start doing bad actions. So, what we need is first to make sure that we are on the right direction and second that we do righteous deeds. If we have these two together, then The one who has chosen the right direction and does righteous deeds. He is the one who has he is the one who has held fast the firmest handle. One of the effects of doing righteous deeds is that gives you a stability. You know, when you have Iman, you are in a very mm, tangible situation. You may lose it soon. If you want to make your Iman persistent and strong and firm, you have to, like, you know, put some nails so that the Iman remains. And that is good actions. When you do good actions, praying, fasting, giving all, helping people, everything that you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this Iman becomes stronger, becomes heavier. So it doesn't go away quickly. It becomes stable. So this is then to hold fast the firmest handhold al-urbat al-musqa wa ila Allah aqibatul umur and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lies the outcome of all matters so whatever you do you must be sure that at the end you would see that everything is staying with him everything is registered with him everything is with him lies with him so it will not be lost you know, sometimes we do something and people don't appreciate. But we shouldn't be sad. If we have done something good for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end we will find it present next to him. It's like you have posted something and it has been received by the receiver. So everything goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, we hope that good things are going to be there. Because these are the people who are muhsin. But the people who are doing bad actions, as we will have, inshallah, later, their bad actions will go and be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah, of course, would then punish them for the bad actions. So, The end of the affairs, the outcome of all affairs, lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the people who are good, this is a great assurance. Of course, for the people who are bad, this is a great warning. You know, it's like, for example, uh, when you know that everything that you do is recorded by secret cameras. So, if you have done something bad, if you are a criminal, then you are worried because then they will take you to the court and the judge would show you whatever you have done. But for example, if you were a person who was helping people, there was an old lady who wanted to cross the road, so you helped her, then that is recorded. There was a red light, you stopped. Everything you observed was correct, so you have no worry. You will be indeed very happy that... They know this and they will tell everyone that this person has been acting, you know, piously. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the verse 23, وَمَنْ كَفَرَهُ فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ كُفْرُهُ But if there are people who refuse to turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they show kufr. Either it means that they are not thankful, because kuf sometimes is not to be thankful, not to be grateful, or it means that they don't believe, which come again very close, because not to be thankful leads to disbelief. Disbelief exhibits that 
the person is not thankful. This is why Allah says, "Inna sabil kafura." When Allah has guided us, either we are thankful, so it means that we will be guided, or we are not thankful, so we will be kafir, we will be not a believer. So Allah says, those who don't believe, you shouldn't let their disbelief make you sad. Don't worry. Because, you know, the Prophet ﷺ was very concerned about the people. He had so much love for the people that he didn't want even one single person to be misguided. You know, if you are a very good teacher, okay, what do you do? You make sure that every day you go to the classroom, you are very much prepared. Okay? You study, you plan things, you go there, you know, not very tired, you know. You try to be very much prepared. Then you do your best that all your students learn. But there are some naughty students, they don't want to learn, they don't want to listen. They always make jokes and play, you know, or work... <laughs> you know, with, uh, play with their mobiles, you know, these kind of things. If you are a teacher who is just acting as a normal employee, say, I am doing my job, whether they learn or not, it's up to them. But a person who is a good teacher and loves teaching and loves educating people, doesn't want even one single person in his classroom remain uneducated. He is very sad. So if there is a student who is not paying attention, he wants to find a way to please him. He wants, you know, to talk to the parents or I don't know, you know, discuss with him in private so that the problem is solved. But sometimes you do your best and the person does not show any appreciation at the end you become sad okay the prophet وسلم, had so much love for the people that he didn't want even one single person to be misguided to remain misguided but it was a great pressure for the prophet because his love was so much so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him don't worry too much you have done your job and your responsibility is just to deliver the message. At the end, it's up to them to accept or not. You cannot do any miracle here. You just deliver the message. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had wanted, He could have made all of them mu'min. But as far as you are concerned, just make sure that you deliver the message. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ كُفْرُ Don't let their disbelief make you sad. We know that you have done your best and nothing more than this could be done. إِلَيْنَا مَرْجَعُهُمْ They will all return to us. It's not that they have escaped from the school. No. They are inside the school. And at the end, they have to come and get the result of the study from us. So then, we will tell them that you have failed. They will all return to us, and we will inform them about their performance. So every human being must be ready and prepared for the day that he would be informed about the results of his actions. And then Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ He is truly aware of what is in the breast of the people. So not only he knows the actions, he knows also the intentions. Yeah? Normally, we human beings don't understand the intentions of people. So we say, for example, this person has studied properly. But what was his intention? We don't know. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us about our action and he knows also what is going on in my heart. So maybe my action looked good, but it was 
from inside very bad because it was not with pure intention. So he knows everything. Then what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, نُمَتِّعُهُمْ قَلِيلًا ثُمَّ نَطَّرُهُمْ إِلَىٰ عَضَابٍ غَلِيلٍ We will provide for them for a short time. We let them enjoy themselves for a short time. Whenever the Quran says, enjoy for a short time, it means dunya. Because dunya is mata'un qalil. No matter how much you live in dunya, even if you live 200 years in dunya, this is little. In the eyes of Allah, the whole dunya is little. Mata'un qalil. Allah says, no mata'uhum qalilan. We let them enjoy for little. Even if they are the richest people of the world and they have the longest life, still this is little compared to what Allah has preserved for the pious people in Akhirah. The enjoyment of dunya compared to that is nothing. Allah says, no matter qalilan, we let them enjoy a little bit. But then at the end, نَثَّرُّهُمْ إِلَىٰ عَذَابٍ Then at the end, we will lead them towards a very difficult, painful punishment. And this is the punishment that they have created for themselves. You know, sometimes we think that Allah is punishing us. But indeed, Allah is not punishing us. Indeed, Allah is showing us the things that we have prepared for ourselves. It's not that the punishment is, you know, something that is based on a, for example, law or contract or convention. The punishment is the deep reality of our actions. When I am doing something wrong, right now, I am punishing myself, but I don't understand. On the day of judgment, it will be obvious. And this is why Allah says, If you do a little bit good action, you will see it. Not you will see the reward. You will see the action itself, as well as reward. You will see the good action and the bad action. So, the punishment is nothing other than understanding and seeing the action and the outcome of the action. It's a reality. Once I was in London, then I had a you know, phone call, someone asked me that what happens to these people who seem that they are very much enjoying themselves? You know, they have as if, you know, freedom to do whatever they want. They drink, they have, you know, any kind of sexual relation, anything that they want, they do. So he was asking me, so why we are so much, you know, deprived? <laughs> as if, you know, we as Mu'mameen, we are deprived. So he, he was telling me, so can we say that, inshallah, then later they will be punished so that our hearts will become <laughs> cool? I said, you know, first of all, we think that they are enjoying. You know, if, for example, you know, there is a, a child at the school and tomorrow he has exam and instead of studying he is watching a movie you think he's enjoying but indeed he's harming himself and tomorrow he will realize that he has harmed himself but when we are short-sighted they think they are enjoying themselves so I said first of all these people are not that much enjoying their lives many of these people after few years they regret. When the youth has gone, the 
beauty has gone. They are left alone. No one pays attention to them. They don't have proper job, proper family. They have to live all their life alone. This is not really enjoying. And I said, Inshallah, we hope that even these people will not be punished. Maybe Inshallah they repent. Maybe Allah somehow finds some way to... So, as a moment, we shouldn't want people to be punished. We, we hope that everyone, Inshallah, would be at the end saved. Shaitan loves people to be punished because this is the sign of success of Shaitan. If he manages that all human beings are going to hell, so he will be very happy. We should be opposite. We wish that, inshallah, everyone sooner or later will be guided and will be safe from hell. But what is important is that we should know these two groups of people would not be equal. أَفَمَنْ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا كَمَنْ كَانَ فَاسِقًا لَا It's impossible that the people who are pious and the people who are bad and wishes would be treated the same. Inshallah they are not going to be punished, I don't know. It depends on what would be the end of their action and it lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As far as I am concerned, I wish no one would go to hell. But they would not be the same. A young person under pressure of his or her instincts still remains pious and looks after his or her chastity and observes religious requirements he has a great position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah will never forget all the things that he has done to maintain his piety and purity so they will not be the same so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is telling us that the people who have submitted themselves to Allah and do righteous deeds, they will have very stable life, very stable position in their life. They will never regret, they will never, you know, say, oh, I have wasted my life, I wish I have done something else. No, they have achieved a stability because they have held fast the firmest handhold. And those people who are also kafir, they will return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah will inform them about their performance and Allah knows what is going on in their heart, in their breast and at the end they will see the result of their actions which is nothing other than pain and suffering. So I think we should stop here and see what are the questions here. Okay, the first question we have is about uh, experience, a story that happened to one of the brothers about uh, having some uh, friends from other schools of Islam who said the prayer uh, of Asr and at the end there was a discussion between them why you Shia pray Zohr and Asr together? In the same way that you don't have your breakfast and lunch together, you shouldn't have prayer of Zohr and Asr together. Okay, so why you don't say in the same way that you have tea and biscuit together, so have Zohr and Asr together? So why you say lunch and breakfast? Okay, religious issues cannot be you know, dealt with in this way. It's not just you know, something that you uh, so easily can make judgment. We have to go back to the Qur'an and Sunnah. And the best way for solving these questions is to find hadith which are accepted by all Muslims. So, to defend our position, I can refer to hadith that we have in our sources, but then it would not be convincing the people who don't belong to our school. In the same way, the people who follow other schools of Islam, they shouldn't expect us to accept whatever is in their sources. The best way is that both of us try to find something which is common between us. And that is Quran and the Hadith which are accepted by all Muslims. 
In many cases, you find that whenever there is a dispute between Muslims with respect to fiqh, jurisprudence, there are no hadiths which are accepted by all Muslims on the side of our brothers who are not Shia. Indeed, most of the cases we find that our position can be proved by our hadith and their hadith. But unfortunately, they themselves don't pay attention to some of the hadith that they have, which is in harmony with our hadith. They prefer to choose those hadith which only they have, not other schools of Islam. So there are hadith that everyone accepts, and there are hadith that only some people accept. When we refer to the major collections of hadith of our brothers and sisters who are not Shia, we find that they themselves mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ on different occasions said the prayer of Zohr and As together. For example, the there is a hadith that a person says that Ibn Abbas, who is a reliable scholar and all Muslims respect him because of his knowledge, once was criticized by some people because of not having separated the prayer of Zohr and As or Maghrib and Isha. And Ibn Abbas told them, do you want to teach us the Sunnah of the Prophet? He was the cousin of the Prophet and one of the companions of the Prophet and a very knowledgeable person. And he said, in the time of the Prophet, we used to say our prayer of Zuh and As or Maghrib and Isha together. This is in the Sihah of Ahl-Sunnah. They also themselves say that when there is rain, when you are traveling, when you are in Arafah and Muzdalifah, you can put them together. So, these are their own hadith that says that either in these conditions of rain, of being traveling, or when there is mud, the land is muddy, or when you are in Arafah, or when you are in Muzdalafah, you say them together. And they have also general hadith like what we have quoted from Ibn Abbas. So, even according to their own sources, this is clear. The main reason for this confusion is that they, they have not been able to distinguish between two things. According to the teachings of the Prophet and Ahlul Bayt which can be also understood from the Quran, but maybe it's not that clear. But if you have this hadith in mind, it will become very clear. We have for each prayer two types of timing. Each prayer has a time which is exclusive and a time which is common. What does it mean? For example, for the prayer of Zohar, the prayer of noon, we have a time which is khas. It's exclusive to the prayer of Zohar. For example, if you are not a traveler, right after Zohar, up to four rak'ah, how much time you need for four rak'ah? For example, four minutes. From Zohar, up to four rak'ah, it's the time for the prayer of Zohar. No other prayer, you cannot pray as here. Even if someone mistakenly says the prayer of as, it's not accepted. Then, from this time up to four rak'ah before sunset is common between Zohar and Asr. And again, at the end, 
is the time only for Asr. There are many technical issues here. For example, if you have only four minutes before Maghreb and you have not said your prayer of Zuhr and Asr, what should you do? If you need four minutes, suppose you need four minutes for four rak'ah, they say you must say Asr. You don't say Zuhr. Because this is exclusive to us. But in between, it's Zohar and As. If someone, for example, for some reason, forgets to say Zohar and says As, and after Maghreb realizes that he has said As without Zohar, if it was in the common time, or the time is exclusive to As, the As is okay. He just says the prayer of Zohar. Okay. These common times, and those two exclusive times, are not well understood. So some people think that, oh no, Zohar is to be said at the appropriate time of Zohar, and at that time you cannot say Asr. While this is not the case, Asr can be said any time after those few minutes you need for Zohar. You know, so they have extended the exclusive time of Zohar up to, suppose, two hours, three hours, whenever is the time of us, according to the seasons, is of course different. So, briefly, the answer is that, according to the hadith, which can be found in major sources of our Sunni brothers, and the hadith which can be found in Shia sources, both sources, the Prophet وسلم, used to say the prayer of Zohar and As and Maghrib and Isha together on different occasions. Not all the time or most of the time. Sometimes on occasions without having any reason he was doing this. And sometimes he was doing this because of rain or traveling or whatever. So based on that, in Shia jurisprudence, the idea is that you can say them together, but it's better if you say them separately. We believe that it's better. But we say it's not compulsory. We cannot force people. When Allah has permitted something, we cannot make it obligatory you know, for people to say it separately. And you find that indeed, in practice, this has caused many, you know, uh, people not to be able to say the prayer. Because if they want, for example, to work, to get permission to go several times out of office to pray, causes problems for them. Some people may be not able to do this. Some people may be able. So, to make life not difficult for people, we say, okay, it's better to say them separately, but if you say together, that's not a problem, and it's completely valid. Next question. What are good daily habits for us to do? Of course, the best habits is to make habit of doing our obligatory acts. The prayer on time is the best habit. This is khayr al-amal, hayya ala khayr al-amal. So this is the best thing. Another best habit is to be able to keep our wuzu. If from the time we wake up till the time we go to bed, we are always with wuzu, with evolution. This is a very good habit. Yes, you, maybe you sleep, maybe you go to washroom, but then again, make wuzu. Al-wuzu onurun. Wuzu by itself is light. Even if you have wuzu, but without sleeping or doing anything, you can do another wuzu. And this is nurun ala nur. This is light over light. So this is a good habit to have always wuzu. It's a very good habit to try to have every half an hour, one hour, some invocations. Like some salawat or like some, for example, la ilaha illallah. So if you cannot do it all the time, at least every half an hour, every one hour, say few invocations. 
and make it a habit. And another good habit is to have every day at least once a review of your performance, daily performance. As Imam Qazim said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ لَمْ يُحَاسَبْ نَفْسَهُ كُلَّ يَوْمُ is not one of us the one who doesn't judge himself and evaluate himself on a daily basis. So these are some of the good habits that are very helpful and help us in the rest of the life, inshallah. Next question. What if people always make you angry for no reason, even though you are nice to them? Why? What if? And what if? What to do? Yes. Unfortunately, people sometimes consciously or unconsciously may make you angry. And what is important is that first of all to realize that it's not all the time they have you know, bad intention. Sometimes it is just their conduct, just their manner. They don't understand. You know, they are used to do certain things. For example, sometimes people are used to speak loudly. And you find it like an insult to you. Why you speak so loudly to me? But they don't have bad intention. Or sometimes people, for example, uh, you know, when you are sleeping or having rest, they make phone you or call you. They make you angry. But it's not that they have bad intention. So, many times people make us angry without wanting to make us angry. So, you have to be very much tolerant. And sometimes people deliberately want to make us angry. Okay. What is the best way to defeat them? Don't get angry. If people want to make you angry, so to defeat them, try to control your anger. Then, when few times they want to make you angry and they see that there is no success, so they don't do it again. They deliberately want to make you angry, so you try to smile, you try to be cool. So this person said, oh, I wanted to make him angry and he's happy. So why should I do it again? So unconsciously, they will change their plans. In any case, it's better for us to control our anger. And hardly we may need to exercise anger. You know, sometimes to defend ourselves, sometimes to give a warning to someone, we may become angry. But no, most of the time we don't need to be angry. And when we are angry, we don't have full control of what we say, what we do. And we are like a toy in the hands of shaitan. So it's better to remain cool and to be able to really understand and make proper decisions. And whenever you are angry, you should not make any decision. Because these decisions are not proper. You will later regret. Yes. Next question. Please give us some amal or dua to bring our children back to believing and practicing Islam. I don't know of any specific amal or dua for this. Of course, there are many duas that we do for our children. But, you know, I don't think there is something that... Uh, if you do it or say it, you know, it will be automatically solving the problem. You pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wholeheartedly, but the most important thing is that we have to adopt proper methods of upbringing children. If uh, I don't do things, you know, properly and just pray or, you know, do some uh, amal, it will not solve the problem. And... Of course, it also depends on the child himself also. You know, for example, the son of Prophet Nuh was a bad person. Was it because Prophet Nuh didn't do certain amal? <laughs> or even, for example, you know, Ja'far Kazab, Ja'far the liar, the uncle of Imam Zaman. He was a bad person. It's not that because Imam Hadi didn't do certain amal or didn't know. It depends on the person himself, but parents have the responsibility. Allah says, We have to make sure that we protect ourselves and our family from the hell, from doing bad actions. So, we have to learn. 
I think the best amal is to learn parenting, to study books written by great scholars that we have, alhamdulillah, not just the books which are written by psychologists, because some of these psychologists, they don't have proper understanding of human being and their spiritual needs. But those psychologists who know also Islam, who know the Quranic perspective, or ulama who have studied this issue, Alhamdulillah, we have some good books, not that many in English, much more in Farsi and Arabic, but still we have some good books in English about parenting. We have to learn how to act as good parents, how to create a good environment at home, so that our children, by looking at us, naturally become good. If they naturally, if they see the, the parents never lie, they, they never tell lies. So, I don't think the child would tell lies. If they see the parents are always, for example, kind with each other, then the child will never become, you know, aggressive and arrogant. If father respects mother and mother respects father, then the child respects both of them. If father doesn't respect mother and mother doesn't respect father, then he doesn't respect any of them. So, it's up to us how to upbring our children and also not only house, another thing that some parents are not careful is about the great impact of the peers, their friends, their classmates. So we have to make sure that they make friendship with good people, good children from good families and also they go to the good school. These are the things that inshallah if you do it will help. Of course, you should always pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next question. Rajat is around the corner. Can you say a few words about the importance of this month and the best actions? Yes, thank you for this question. The month of Rajab is one of the most blessed months of the whole calendar. It is the month in which the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pours down like shower. One of the titles of this month is Asab. Because the rahmah, the mercy of Allah like shower comes down. It's the best month to start preparing for entering into the feast and banquet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is the month of Ramadan. So from the month of Rajab and then Sha'ban we should start preparation for the months of Ramadan. Unfortunately, normally we start preparation after Ramadan starts. The first few days still we are not ready. By the time we become ready, it's the night of Qadr. It's too late. We have to start get ready for the months of Ramadan from Rajab and Sha'ban, and by the time the Ramadan comes, we are fully alert and fully prepared. <coughs> Many ulama in the months of Rajab and Sha'ban fast, at least we should fast some of the days of Rajab and Sha'ban. If you have your, some days of your last Ramadan remaining and you haven't fasted, so this is the best time to fast your Qadha and there are beautiful du'as in the month of Rajab. Some du'as are to be recited after ritual prayers. Some are to be recited uh, regardless of the prayer. These du'as are very beautiful. And if you make habit of reciting at least one of these du'as after each prayer, it will be very useful. Inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this month of Rajab a very blessed, inshallah, month for all of you. Okay, thank you very much. So, it seems that our questions are finished. So, inshallah, we will have our session again after two weeks. And I hope that, inshallah, you, your families and friends and the entire community, inshallah, will be protected from anything which is bad and disliked. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and enable us to benefit from the month of Rajab and Sha'ban and the month of Ramadan. And may Allah enable us to witness the night of Qadr. 
that is the night that we have to work 364 days so that inshallah for that night we are ready. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen.